So I wanted to start off episode 193 just with a thank you. I mean, the other day, I think it was a two-day period where we had 10,000 downloads and you know, the podcast has had over a million downloads at this point, but that two-day window of having 5,000 downloads back-to-back days, yeah, I just wanted to give back. So if you were one of the people that participated in that giveaway, you know, check out my website. It is under the newsletter page. Um, I list the 10 or 11 people I picked as winners there for the wraps and the um, the book giveaway. So just big thank you. I'm very appreciative. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and just appreciate you checking this one out. My name is Corinne Shalvoy. And I'm Graham Shalvoy. And this is the Training for Ultra podcast. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man. So you keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey everyone, it's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? I decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. Welcome to episode 193 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And we have an in-studio interview with the Shalvoys. I think you're going to enjoy it. All right, guys. Can you hear me okay? Yep. All right. Uh, welcome again to Corinne Shalvoy, who's been on the podcast before. Graham, have you been on the podcast yet? I know we've talked a lot about it. I'm not sure if... Technically, yes, but it didn't record. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is take two of the Train for Ultra podcast with Graham and Corinne, and they've been super helpful behind the scenes. They've done a lot of modeling work for Exoskin. They're soon to be pizza eating models, um, and you'll know what I'm talking about in a few months. And I just always enjoy hanging out with them, so thanks again for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having That's us. It's awesome. Um. So, Graham, you've been training for something basically all year that I've heard a lot about, and I just wanted to go over that, and then I wanted to hear about, Corinne, you went after your very first 100-miler this year, so I got to hear about these epic races you guys have done and uh, what you have planned in the future. For sure. So, Graham, starting with you, what, um, what have you been training for all year? I've seen you doing some, I think you did one or two sub-ultra races in preparation for kind of the big A race of the year. Is that right? Yeah. So I started the year, and I've I've done this the last couple, but I started just to try to kind of shake off winter and try to get fast. So I tried to PR the 10K um, on the road for that damn run, which was fun, and I did. Uh, I beat my time by about a minute. Um, So that was exciting to kind of get out there and 
I had done it a few years ago and the weather was much better this time, so it worked out great. And then I went and did the Rattler, uh, which is down in Colorado Springs in Palmer Park, and I got second there. I was just about a minute behind the guy that won, um, but I felt really good about the race and um, raced well. Uh, and then Dirty 30 in June, um, which is a 50K, and I got second there as well um, and had a great day. You know, it was definitely more of a tune-up type race, so I didn't go to the well on that one. I didn't really push super hard, uh, but I was very excited to kind of get that result with kind of that effort. Um, so that's kind of how my year started off. So it's been one of my best years of all time for running. So it's been great. And what have you been working towards? What's been the main enchilada yeah so the ura 50 uh, i signed up two years ago uh, i did not go off last year because of covid uh, so we went down there when it got canceled and then everest did over a week uh, vertical vert wise uh, and then did all the trails and then we've done them a number of times um, since crins from there and it's just basically a right out her parents front door um, so yeah, we've been down there a bunch and then, um, fast forward to this year, it's, it's, everything is kind of revolved around that race and, and training for it and getting, you know, all the hiking practice, pole work, all that stuff. I mean, and why did you necessarily pick this? And like, do you have any other insights into like, or background, I guess, into what URA 50 even is if the listener viewer hasn't, you know, heard of it before? Sure. So the URA 50 mile um, is a 50 mile race that has almost 24,000 feet of elevation gain. So it's a huge um, elevation change throughout the entire race. You're climbing or descending almost the entire time. Uh, and there's a whole lot of miles that are 1,000 uh, foot plus miles. Um, so it's a very slow, grindy race. Uh, but I tend to excel um, at things like that. I, I love running in the mountains. And then couple that with it being Crin's hometown, um, it was very special. Uh, I kind of almost consider it like my adopted hometown because we spend so much time there. Uh, her extended families from there, um, her uncle, who uh, was also an ultra runner, uh, has run around a lot of those trails and showed us a few of them. So it's very special um, anyway. And then having the race and knowing that it was going to be a strength of mine to kind of run that race, um, the whole thing just had a lot of meaning to it. And so, I mean, I got to hear more about the build-up into this. How how does one logically go through building up for this type of event? And actually being, you were going after the win. Yeah. It throughout your entire training for it, I assume. Without a doubt. That I mean, what, what was some of like the, the basic ground level logic in, in your build-up to this? Sure. Uh, so I think some of it started with kind of the speed early year to just get faster um, because faster running for me, flat fast, also translates to climbing better uh, over time. So that was kind of part of the reason for that. Um, and then the race progression. So go for a, a flat fast 10K to something a little more hilly like the Rattler to Dirty 30, which is a pretty vert heavy 50K. I mean, it's not huge, but it's it's got certainly some climbing to it. Um, and then as soon as that was over, really kind of flip the switch and really go after a lot of vert about three or four times a week. And then the other days per week, um, being able to run flat fast and keep that speed and running economy up. So how much are you running with slow easy running versus harder efforts and then how much your running was flat versus vert focused sure so 
most of my running is easy running. Um, I'll do a workout. So I'll do strides usually on Tuesday. I have a workout on Wednesday. A lot of times it's a hill type workout. And then I'll do strides on Sunday. And if I'm feeling good on Saturdays and during the long run, usually I'll put kind of an effort in there, usually on an uphill. Um, so there, it's mostly easy, but there's like little sprinkles of speed that go into it. Um, and then the flat fast, or the flat easy, I suppose, uh, about half the runs as I was really transitioning into the really periodization of vert training, half the runs were still flat. Um, how many, what percent of runs were you wearing a shirt versus <laughs> <laughs> is there a certain minimum temperature threshold yeah i definitely like to uh get all the sun that i can <laughs> good vitamin d good vitamin d and were there any hiccups throughout your training blocks into this were there any injuries or just kind of one-off events i mean i know 2020's completely been a one-off event <laughs> yeah like, were there any any niggles or anything, or was it pretty flawless training block? I mean, I always have, um, so I have an adductor injury that I injured two and a half years ago, and it's always kind of, I'm always managing it. Uh, I have to do a lot of pre-run work, probably 30 minutes worth of pre-run stuff to get ready for almost every run. Um, That's a lot. It's a lot. It, it is a lot. And I've tried to kind of get it shorter and I can't seem to get it any shorter and get it all done. So it's stretching and a little bit of strength and stuff like that. But I mean, every day I block a little bit of time to be able to do that a couple hours before the run. Um, but I was able to pretty much manage it. I mean, this is one of the longest periods of time. There's some wood in here so I can knock on it. Um, that I haven't been injured in probably nine this months. Like 200 pounds. <laughs> like perfect. <laughs> legit. Yep, totally. Um, um, so yeah, I was able to kind of come through and I, I mean, I had a little, little things here and there. I think that like everybody does, um, but nothing that popped up that really held me back from training. And so not to totally shift gears, but... I remember talking to Corinne about the Atlanta marathon and how the marriage proposal depended on you finishing that race <laughs> or vice versa. I can't remember. Um, tell me more about that. I don't want to totally backtrack, but sure. um, tell me, tell me more about getting into running. And then I also have to hear about going from smoking almost half a pack a day or a pack a day to winning ultra races like yeah. that's it's a pretty amazing feat yeah so i didn't really run unless it was for sports in high school and college and i mean a little bit but really not much um and then i moved to colorado right after college uh, and i lived in downtown denver and met corinne and she was finishing up at du and she was still running although not not real competitively. So we started running together. And uh, I remember the first time she ever asked, she was like, Hey, you want to go for a run? I'm like, sure. I, you know, I'm sure we can do it. And, um, I was like, how far are you going to go? And she was like six miles. And I remember thinking, although I didn't say it out loud, like six miles. Oh my God. Are we going to be able to physically do this? Uh, so yeah. So we went from that to That's the furthest you'd ever run at that time. For sure. His longest Probably long twice. run was six miles. Yeah. Did he throw up after that? I don't think so. He passed your 10K test. Do you just test got like no to find your <laughs> husband? You had put so many guys through the running tests. And, no, 
And Grimm's, <laughs> Grimm's uh, I was happy everyone. to get out of Uray where there were only like 10 guys and then go to Denver where there were like 15 guys. <laughs> so, I mean, did that trigger something in you to start making some changes or, or was that just a one-off event at that point? Yeah, so I think I started running more and more with her, and then we went to Atlanta, and um, I mean, she moved to Atlanta. We moved to Atlanta, um, and she proposed to run a marathon while we were doing running our uh, not wedding proposal. (laughs) No, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I I didn't propose. I proposed to be married. Yes, and then she proposed to run a marathon during wedding planning. and part of it was kind of on the heels of her really pushing me to quit smoking uh, before we got married. So those two things in tandem kind of worked together and used running to kind of have a another activity other than smoking. Um, and it, it, it worked well. I mean, what if you hadn't finished that marathon? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I'm totally you know, kidding. I, I'm totally the, yeah, kidding. I think from a personality perspective... I mean, DNFs, I, I, I believe at some point will happen to me. I think that they, in a long distance race, you never know what can happen. But from a mental perspective, it would really, I'd have, ha- have to have a leg falling off or something to really kind of pull out and, and stop because it's important to me. Have you ever DNF'd? Not yet. Oh, you haven't tested yourself. I haven't. Hard I, I yet. apparently haven't gone hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, what was it like? running while smoking versus running after quitting like did you actually feel any kind of physical changes take place or or was it just totally indifferent i think it's been a long time so i don't really remember if there was a progression that improved i think i went from zero running well almost zero running to running for training for a marathon so I think because I was getting fitter, I was getting faster. So was there kind of a semblance of my lungs repairing? I'm sure there was. But since I was getting fitter at the same time, it's a little hard to kind of pinpoint what it was. Yeah. Hey, you should be proud of that. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I think it's awesome. Um, and I've I've seen people even like post-race smoking. And so it's, it's like something a lot of people struggle with. It's relatable. So... Um, and there's probably some listener out there that might be uh, inspired by hearing your story on that. And so what, how was it getting ready for this race in terms of you guys being an ultra running couple? Like you both are very good ultra runners and it's rare to, I, I mean, it's not super rare, but it's rare to be essentially competitive, both female and male um, and married and somehow have kids in full-time jobs <laughs> and still have hair on your head. So, uh, tell me more about that process, like training to win a, a 50 mile mountain ultra with everything going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're really supportive of each other. Um, and I think if you can start there, that's the most helpful thing because, you know, we both have long runs a lot on the weekend. So trying to plan out who wants to go when, where are you going? Does that fit with what I'm doing? And really just 
communicating really well about it. I think that's one of the biggest things that we're really good at. Um, and then, you know, at any given moment, someone's peaking for a race, whereas someone else might be just starting the build. So, you know, the person who's closest to the race typically gets the opportunity to say here, I, I need to do this because, you know, I, I've got this race coming in three weeks or whatever. Um, so, you know, being respectful of that um, is important too. So, yeah, just kind of supporting each other. And I think, you know, we went down to Uray before the 4th of July because she was going to run a race down there and she wanted to spend time at altitude, which worked great for me because I got to spend time on the course and got to run a bunch of, you know, the segments of it, uh, which was helpful for sure. And then me spending time at altitude was amazing. Um, and just being down there was great. Um, so we were able to do that. And then you got to race a, um, the Silverton 50K, which was awesome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we kind of bundle our running together and we think through a lot of races that we want to do that maybe complement the other person's race. Um, so it, it's just, you know, communicating well. And so you're coached by David Roach and yep. you're coached, Corinne's coached by Megan, right? Mm -hmm. And so between that ultra running couple and then you guys, I mean, there's potentially three other brains that are giving you feedback, like very, very astute ultra runners that are essentially giving you feedback yeah um is is there times when you have gaps in what you're seeing with what you're doing and corinne will come in and say something to help you and vice versa like will you guys coach each other along with being coached from an outside source yeah, I, I think we do. I think we do. Yeah, for sure. yeah. I mean, we coach a few athletes ourselves, which has been awesome, mainly local um, to our running community. But I, I think, to your point, that's a huge benefit. Is that I think David and Megan's coaching styles complement each other. We've learned from those, and then you can kind of meld that together with what we know about being right with the person and seeing them on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, I think all of that combined, it just adds to how much you can, you know, how much knowledge you can throw into the training. Well, and I think there's so many times where you're like, this hurts. Should I go today? And having someone there who knows a lot mm -hmm. about this is like, well, describe, describe it. Let me know, like, tell me how it hurts and what it feels like. And, you know, I think my Achilles was sore yesterday and I was talking to her about it. I'm like, I wonder if, I don't know if these six mil drop shoes are going to work for Javelina. And she was like, well, you know, mix it up over the next couple of weeks and see how it feels. Um, so having someone to be able to kind of give that advice in the moment is important. Cause I mean, I talked to David a lot over, you know, training stuff, but I mean, I can't ping him every 20 minutes about something. Hey, I just had an idea. Um, that wouldn't work, but I can ping her. Well, it could work for like a week or two. <laughs> yeah, until he was like, this isn't working out. <laughs> um, yeah, if I asked Chrissy that, my wife, I'd, I'd probably get an answer like, oh, good. Like, why don't you take a break and watch the kids for a few hours? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I love her, but getting ultra running feedback is not, not a possibility. For sure. So, even though she got me into running pretty much or inspired me and was running... 5Ks just for her own mental health, essentially. Like That's I didn't know that. work. That's awesome. And I just like you looking at at Corinne asking to run a 10K. I was like 5K, like three miles at like 11 minute pace. No way. Like <laughs> that's out of my. That's out of my league. That was um, her contribution to your <laughs> ultra running. Totally just inspiring I, you to start, right? I mean, the secret is she got me a gift card for Christmas. 
Um, it's actually in the book, but to have my gait analyzed nice. and she knew how like upset I was to have ultra running or have running taken away. Mm-hmm. And so getting those insoles got me back out there pain free for long enough where my muscles actually had time to develop. That's um, so cool. That is cool. Yeah. But without that gift card, I probably would have put those same pathetic ASICs back in the box again. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yay, Chrissy. That's so cool. Okay. So you're getting ready for you, Ray. You've spent a good amount of time out there. Tell me about like going into that race. How are you feeling? And then walk me through how your A race of the year goes. Sure. Um, so going up to it, the last few weeks of training went really well. Um, I, I was looking for the steepest things I could find on the front range because I was kind of back here. Uh, I did a lot of uh, working with poles. I was doing twice a week uh, hiking on the treadmill at a 15% grade at like 3.7 miles an hour. Um, and that practice of hiking, which I hadn't, I mean, I'd hiked some, but not, you know, not like that helped a ton. I mean, it really made a big difference. Um, so everything was coming together pretty well and I kind of got to race day and I felt good and I th- thought my gear was all ready and um, I had a plan for the race. My my idea was to go out kind of the first 30 miles, taking it you know as easy as you can go on a race. It's a 50 mile race, so it's going to be a long day. I knew it was going to take 14 plus hours, so I wanted to kind of ease into it and um, you know, the gun went off and I felt like we did. I stayed with the front pack of guys. It was like seven guys total. We went up to Weehawken, which is the first climb. And I was running in maybe second or third. The front guy was going a little slower than I wanted to go up that hike. And I'd done it a bunch of times. So I knew what pace I wanted to go in at. And I ended up a little bit in front, but maybe like a minute or so before I started seeing people. And then they were still kind of all clumped up um, so I kind of moved more quickly on the downhill. Downhill is definitely more of my specialty and what I'd like to do more. So, uh, <laughs> timer. It's all good. Um, uh, so you're, you're essentially running your own race for the first part of this. Yeah. Like you're not being pressured. I, I was not, I was not pushing, even if I had had someone in ahead of me. And at that point I didn't, but even if I'd had, I would have still continued to run my own race and I would have kept the front guys, you know, within distance, but, uh, I, I really wanted to do my own thing. So I got up to the top of the second climb, which is Hayden. And I was about 25 minutes ahead of where I thought I should be, which actually made me nervous. So I slowed up a bit, kind of recovered up top there and then came to the aid station to see these guys. And when I came out of there, I saw uh, second place for the kind of first time. And he was closer than I expected. I kind of thought I had more time on them. So at that point, um, I started to do the climb up Hayden again from Crystal Lake. And I wanted to move efficiently, but not too fast. But I got to the top feeling good. And I thought he probably didn't know the course like I did. And that to me is a seven mile downhill and it's the fastest section of the entire thing. You can really get moving once you get out of the really steep section in the beginning. So I really turned it on there for the first time, kind of well ahead of schedule. But I felt like if I could put 15, 20 minutes on him at that point, I had a high likelihood of being able to hold it for the remainder of the race. So got into the next aid station in and out before he came in and um, up, I picked Corinne up and we went up Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks is steep as heck. It's like three miles of 1200 foot miles in a row. And it's, 
it uh, it was my low point of the race. It was hard um, to get to the top, and then we get through the next couple aid stations, and everything was going well. We were about 20, 25 minutes ahead of second place, and did the chief ura climb, which is second to last, and started coming down it. And he was a lot closer again than we expected. So at that point, we had to kind of make, or I kind of made the decision. I was still on course record pace, not by much, but still kind of right at it. But if I pushed hard on that downhill, I knew I was going to fry my legs for the last climb, but I really wanted to win. So I thought it was worth it to go out hard on that climb or on that descent and get some time on him and then just do everything I could to hold it on Bridge of Heaven, which is the last climb. And that's kind of what happened. We came into the aid station. We were in and out in 30 seconds, which I think everybody was kind of shocked about because we'd been taking our time before and we didn't that time. And we were in and out and up Bridge of Heaven and just did everything I could to keep going. And pretty beat by that point, but um, we were able to kind of get up and down that thing and uh, ended up winning. What, what kind of words were exchanged between you two? Like, were there more words exchanged? Because you guys can be brutally honest with each other being married to one another like is it i want to hear more about those just exchanges and generally what it's like to be married to your pacer yeah (laughs) um it was it was great i mean corinne knows exactly what she's doing she's an amazing ultra runner and i know the advice that she's going to give me is from a place of you know in her heart and also from her head um, so that was awesome. Um, I don't feel like we talked a lot. No, probably. Um, I mean, I'm not like in general, even though we talk a lot for a living, I'm not like a talker. <laughs> and so, and he's working hard and I was too. I mean, I was just trying not to get dropped. So <laughs> honestly, like I was worried about that in this race. So the first climb, I mean, I'm like three miles in, he's 53 or 27 miles, eight miles in. And I'm like, oh my God, am I going to be able to hang on to this? <laughs> and uh, and so that limited the amount of talking for a while. So you're like, I think you should keep your pace conservative here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, like, let me catch up. Uh, no, we talked <laughs> about kidding. this beforehand. If I needed to just bail on a section, I was going to do it. And, and we talked, I mean, we yeah. said, hey, if you want to sit out one of the climbs and because it's just too fast, that's fine. No big deal. And so we pre-planned that if, if that were yeah. to happen. It yeah. didn't. It didn't happen. It didn't. It didn't. We but got, I, I got a rhythm. But I mean, I think we talked a lot about kind of race strategy on the race. And we didn't talk mm-hmm. a ton, but especially on the descents where you could actually talk and move at the same time. We were talking about, hey, you know, this next section is pretty quick. Let's move fast here. And, you know, I want to put some time on him here. So let's really push this. And then we'll take a little bit of a break when we get to the flat section. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that. You know, it's kind of what we were talking about. Excuse yeah. me. Um, Corinne, were you able to say anything brutally honest? Where, like, typically if you were pacing someone else, you would hold back? Um, I don't think... I don't think I did it, said anything that I wouldn't say to like a really close friend too, um, because I don't think he needed it. He was doing really, really well, um, and I think in general he responds to positive feedback. And so, trying to keep things positive and just um, sometimes that voice goes off in your own head, and so having that be an echo from somebody else of you're doing well because you might feel like you're just hurting and it's brutal. Um, so I tried to be kind of be that, and then I think there was a sec- you know there was a time toward the end where. It's like you just have to be the person's head for them. Um, Example being, you know, we'd come to very short flat section and I would say, 
you can shuffle this. Let's shuffle this instead of walking it because we were so used to walking and climbing. And um, and then also was telling him the reason for that. Like if we if we jog this, we know the second place the most they are going to do is jog this, and so we got to do that. If we walk it, they might catch up. Um, and so let's jog it because I think you can jog it for these hundred yards, and I think that hopefully was helpful in just keeping him moving well. Um, and then the very last descent was it's long and it's extremely technical, and it's in the middle of the night, and there's some sections that are just very, very exposed. And, uh, my, you know, my worry for him was don't do anything crazy and fall because that's going to be a big issue. So let's go slow and steady, not slow and steady, but steady down this descent and be careful and just pick your feet up. And so I think that's what I tried to just, uh, support him in is just telling him. Tell me, tell me about like weather was the weather throughout the day. Nice. And (laughs) was it full moon or um, so we were right in the middle of a monsoon. Um, so the day before it had rained over an inch and it was bad, really bad. And then... And that happened during the Uray 100. Yeah, that the, happened. The 100 mile race. Yeah, they got really wet. Um, and then we woke up the next day and it was clear and sunny. It was gorgeous. Um, and we were like, wow, this is amazing. So get out there. And then of course, within an hour, clouds up, start, you can hear thunder in the distance. And it's like, oh boy, here we go. So when we, I got to the top of Hayden, which was pretty early into the race, it was raining. It was raining pretty hard. And so I was just about to pull out my jacket because, you know, 12,000 feet, it was starting to get chilly. And just as I was about to, it kind of stopped. And then that was it. And then I dropped down to Crystal Lake and um, my son that I'd put in charge of the weather yeah. specifically yeah. <laughs> uh, came running up to me. He goes, I don't think it's going to rain anymore. It looks like it's gone. I was like really you gotta be kidding me and uh he was right it didn't rain again and then uh that evening it was uh we got up to a bridge of heaven and it was pretty amazing so we get up to the top of the climb the very top highest point of the the whole thing and the climb went on for oh god it went for yeah especially in the dark you can't see where you're going i mean we got to a sign that said two and a half miles to go (laughs) and we were both like you've got to be kidding me right now. <laughs> like that is so much further. We thought we were like three quarters of a mile from the top. Yeah. So we kept going and we were just grinding and yeah. go ahead. That's when you guys were probably silent for a mile, right? Oh yeah. I think I for had like some choice words. I, I had kept minutes. it real positive yeah. up to that point. I think I kind of lost it for a second, but I regained composure and we kept on going. I was the same way trying to get to Hope Pass. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's probably like two miles or Winfield. I think it was. Oh yeah. It's yeah. just like, kind of <laughs> mentally can break you. Yes, for sure. Um, but we ended up getting to the top of Bridge of Heaven, and the view from up there is unbelievable, even at night. And it was a full moon, and we kind of crest this hill, and the moon's like huge, like right there, and we hadn't seen it yet, because it was kind of lower and hidden behind mountains. And it was spectacular. Yeah. Um, and then we punched the bib and but started But then we down. were like, oh my God, we got to punch the bib quick and yeah. turn around and go. And we couldn't get the you punch to work. <laughs> we couldn't no. get the punch to work either. Yeah. And I'm like trying three times in a row to get the punch and eventually ended up taking a picture of his bib with the punch next to it just as proof because we were yeah. like, can't yeah. spend it. And they didn't time. care. They never checked. They were yeah. good. Yeah. They were good. Um, that's interesting. And it sucks that photographs of runners with the moon are so hard to get yeah, correct like yeah. trying to get everything in focus all at once it's yeah. like the never-ending challenge for photographers sure so tell me about going through the finish line how was it 
Yeah. So that was your A race of the year. Yeah. And did you still were you still on course record or did you just miss it? No, I missed it. I missed it by about thirty minutes or so. Okay. Um, I knew once again coming down Chief Uray the way I did hammering it. I just didn't have a lot of legs left for the end. Yeah. Uh, I think in retrospect, if I wanted to go course record, I would have taken a little more conservatively there and had more for the finish. But it, you're racing. It was great. Yeah. I, you know, I still got first. So, um, yeah, the end, the last, the last mile is maybe the most technical section of the downhill. Um, so it's very slow and loose and shale. And if you fall, you're in trouble. So we had to go pretty easy up into that point. And, you know, you have headlamps on so you can see people behind you. But there were people going up and there were 100 milers coming down. So it was hard to see who was who. Um, so I felt like we were far enough ahead that I wasn't going to get caught. But we finally hit the road and about half a mile down the road, it kind of bends and you can't see the trailhead anymore. And I turned around to see if he had come out yet and he hadn't. And that's when I knew we were free and clear. You know, I, I hadn't wanted to even think about this until the end. Cause I, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a huge disappointment if I got caught right at the end. Uh, but by that point, you know, we dropped into the pool area. We were like 200 yards away. And, uh, then I, it was kind of like celebrating. It was two 30 in the morning. So it's not like there were a whole lot of people out there, but my family stayed up. Her family stayed up. My, um, uh, 10 year old was out there and funny we came into the park with about 100 yards left and all of a sudden i see this headlamp coming towards us it's about waist high i'm like what is that and it's my 10 year old son who just came bolting up to us yelling about how excited he was i'm like what are you still doing up at 2 30 in the morning you kidding me right now <laughs> uh, but it was it was special and yeah the whole thing was was really great that's amazing um did i hear a rumor that wamsley was giving you a <laughs> shout out at some point yeah, so the next day we come out to kind of cheer on the people finishing the 150 miler. And uh, Walmsley was out there, I think, training for UTMB in Silverton. Um, and we had talked for a bit the day before, and um, he was just sitting in a chair and he saw me come out and then he yelled across the park. So everybody heard and, like, hey, Graham, great win yesterday. And so that was very cool. And then he came up and talked to me and he was like, yeah, we were uh, live tracking you. And all of a sudden your GPS like glitched and it looked like you were at a bar in the middle of your ray at like 1030 <laughs> at night. He was like, we thought maybe you were done. That was pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, Wamsley always shouts me out at races. So <laughs> he's always like, you're going to miss the cutoff, man. Like, <laughs> it's a great, it was a great atmosphere. There were a lot of really cool people down there. There were. I'm friends. just picturing your son as the weatherman. Does you <laughs> even have a weatherman? No. Because it's mountain weather. Like, yeah. It's always like, well, it's a 50-50 chance of rain. Well, snow. anyone that knows Graham knows that he's extremely passionate about the weather. I am a weather junkie. He's I a huge really? weather junkie. So he pretty much was like, here, Stowe, here's all the apps you need to be looking I, at. And <laughs> I, My brother was there, and I knew he had the app that I wanted. So I showed Stowe on my brother's phone. I'm like, here's how you get the radar. Look for the green around, and then hit this play button. And if it's heading towards us, let me know that. And if it's not, let me know that. And that's exactly what he did. Got to hook you up with a ultra running weatherman in Columbus, Ohio. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. He'll probably have all kinds of secrets uh, how to track that stuff. Totally. Well, it's um, funny because um, when we were getting the snow this year, I did a funny Castle Rock Run Club weather post report. Uh, report, and uh, <laughs> I was standing like out in the snow giving the weather report. It was pretty funny. Overall, what was your takeaway from that win? 
Um, so I haven't, I've only won one other ultra. I, a lot of, uh, I get on the podium a lot. Not always, but a lot. But I don't win very often. So to win that race in that location with that much preparation, it was very satisfying. It was a great feeling. Um, I loved it. Yeah, I couldn't have asked for more. Corinne, did your, because half of you raise. Um, <laughs> related to me? Related to me. <laughs> um, Which isn't much of a stretch. <laughs> did, did your family finally accept Graham? In... That was his true test. I mean, it took 15 years, but no. <laughs> God, I hope not. Did, did the mayor come out? Is there going to be a Graham shall void day? <laughs> In Uray, due the to this to the victory. Or... <laughs> well, the park he was going in and out of is named after my grandfather. So, uh, you know, it's kind of already that way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it was special. It was so cool. To, I, I joked that if he had like a major, some kind of major issue, he could just jump in the house and take a quick shower and then come back Yeah, out. literally 100 yards from the main aid station that you come to five times is her parents' house. Yeah. I mean, you could th- it'd be a long throw, but you could throw something and hit that, that gazebo from her parents' deck. So that was really cool. Wow. I know that gazebo. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Um, and Corinne, do you think you overdid pacing Graham? During this, because you're going after your first 100 miler, mm-hmm. Leadville 100, mm-hmm. which I was trying to race you at. <laughs> I came up a little short. <laughs> um, so did I. We probably both would have been better off just like teaming up there. But anyways, uh, I want to hear more about your race. You've you've put in some really really good efforts. Has the Leadville 100 been on your radar for a while? I think last time we talked, you had a coin that you have right now <laughs> in your hand. I, I thought you had to give that back, so you no, just get to you keep, get to keep it. Now it's just a reminder, because now it has a different meaning than it did before. But yeah, I've been carrying it around for a couple of years. So so I qualified, and I guess I, was, I would start with saying that I just, I never really thought I'd be the kind of person that ran a 100-mile race. It was never of interest to me. What are you trying to say? I don't know. Like, I just never thought that it would be something I wanted to do. Um, I've said before, I have so much admiration for people like yourself that just go straight into this sport and go after the most difficult, you know, challenging thing, longest mileage. Um, But I joke that it took me about 20 years of running to get to my first 50K, which was a few years ago. So 100 miles was not something that really I ever had my head wrapped around. And and then in 2019, um, I placed third at the Leadville Marathon and got offered a coin. And I thought about it for a few. Well, I took it, um, but then I thought about it for, you have like 72 hours. And I was like, maybe this is a sign that I'm ready to do this and I have the opportunity to, to do this. And a lot of people try to get into this race and it takes a long time for them to yeah it took me like five years <laughs> yeah so i i tried to view it as an opportunity and maybe something that was meant to happen and decided to go for it and uh and then it didn't happen in 2020 which was kind of nice because it gave me an extra year of training <laughs> to uh to prepare for it but also to mentally prepare for it i mean um, tell me what was the meaning going into ludville with the coin like when you're carrying it around, what what was the meaning? Um, I think that carrying it around was 
number one, to kind of keep, you know, just like you have your chalkboard of your goals, it's to keep it in the front of my mind. You want to see where that chalkboard is right now? It's under it's okay. a heap of it's like, all right. trash. Yeah, but it's so cool. <laughs> uh, just to keep it in the in the forefront, to keep the goal there. To keep. I'm Ethan Wayne, director of the John Wayne Cancer Foundation. And I'm Molly, the race director for the John Wayne Grit Series. My father, John Wayne, asked my family and I to use his name to help find a cure for cancer. So we started the Grit Series. It's a series of 5Ks, 10Ks, and half marathons that take place in the most beautiful and rugged landscapes across the Southwest, including places where John Wayne shot some of his most famous movies. That's right. And all the race proceeds go towards cancer research and prevention programs. We're asking you to join us and bring your courage, strength, and grit to the fight against cancer. For more information on a race near you, visit us at johnwayne.org. That's johnwayne.org. Stay dusty. Big thank you to Exoskin. So they have a new t-shirt. It's 100% cotton, two colors, black and neon green with white logo on the front. And a hashtag show us your skin and at Exoskin USA on the back. They are $26.50 each without a discount available, but still just really appreciate their support. So check out the show links um, for that link to Exoskin. Also, big thank you to Tannery Outdoors. If you're interested, use uh, the promo code ULTRA10 for 10% off. But this is just a great company. You know, it's designed for runners by runners. Uh, the founder is an ultra runner. And it's an all-natural mineral-based product, which in this era of, of sunscreen recalls and everything taking place there, it's just comforting knowing um, this, this is a, a good, honest company. And um, it, it cares about the ultra-running community. It cares about the trails and in the national parks and state parks, I think 1% of their sales goes back into the park systems and they, they definitely support, you know, some really great ultra runners and ultra running podcasts. What was the meaning of the coin? One more time. Just yeah. To make sure so we have I think it. there were a couple of things that it meant to me carrying it around. One was to just remind me that I'm training for this every day to keep it in the forefront of my mind, you know, similar to how you have a chalkboard and you, uh, you write down your goals on them and see them when you have coffee, right? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I happen to have it right here. Um, I've oh, a, I've new added stuff. A, I've yes. added a few new things. Um, we'll save that for another day. Yeah. <laughs> so funny story is I, um, I've put a lot of thought into having Training for Ultra coins made so that people can have that reminder in their pocket throughout the day. That's cool. Um, that they're training for an ultra yeah. like every day, all day, basically. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I mean, um, it's neat. That'd be great. I put. I also put the map on my office wall. Yeah. So I had the yeah. level map up, and I looked at it every Those day. Those are cool maps. Really More cool. races need to do that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. I agree. Um, yeah. Especially the hundred milers and beyond. Yeah. But, yeah. So that was one reason to have it, but I think another was to remind myself that I. Um, you know, I wrote down a lot of the reason why I was running this 100 mile, and one of them was um, because I had earned my way into it. And so it was kind of a little bit of a just reiteration to myself that um, you earned your way in and, and almost a confidence boost to 
to remind I mean, myself of that. Yeah, we we could have a whole episode on your Leadville Marathon. I mean, you it was pretty awesome. You beat some world-renowned runners <laughs> at at that race. Um, and I just talked to Bob Becker, so I got to be careful and not say anything. I don't want to step on Kara's toes at all. Um, oh, no, you just did. <laughs> no, she's, she's so phenomenal. Awesome. Awesome. Um, she's awesome. And so what races did you decide on this year to build into your A race, Leadville 100? Mm-hmm. And also, is this one of the few times where you guys aren't doing the same exact races? Because a lot of times I've seen your trophy case. And it's like duplicates of everything because you, you seem to always uh, do similar races and have similar results, which is pretty unbelievable. Yeah, that's interesting that that's ended up being the case. I think usually there's a few races a year that we both do, and then there's some that we alternate or like are spread out. Um, and so for me this year leading up, I really did want to focus on altitude, just considering that's the biggest X factor at Leadville. So early in the season, um, I, well, I did the Black Canyon 60K, which was an amazing race. I just love that course. And um, being Aravipa racing team member, I, I really, you know, I love their races. So I did that just, you know, uh, not high altitude, but a longer race and early season prep. Uh, and then I had two races that were high altitude specific. So I ran the Collegiate Peaks 25 miler. I've been watching that one. It's I want to so do it sometime. Cool. It, yeah. I loved it. I love the course. I Didn't mean, they have like a 50K or 50 miler? 50 they miler. Have a 50 miler also. and a 25 Five miler. miler. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, it's beautiful. You're just the views constantly. I just was like, we need to camp there and there and there and there like the entire time. Um, and then I ran the Silverton Alpine 50K as well. So uh, another great, like, very runnable course, but high altitude and. Um, those were the main focus races. And then pacing Graham was part of the training plan as well. Instead of another race, you know, that was going to be for me a huge day of eight plus hours on feet and 12,000 feet plus of climbing. Excuse me. And I am, I'm not somebody who does a lot of climbing, uh, just normally during the week. Um, you like so, those flat races. Yeah. Just like I do. the Leadville I do. <laughs> 100s. <laughs> it's somewhat you, flat for a 100 miler. <laughs> you had the Solomon camp too. Yeah, I went to the Solomon camp as well. That was a great training camp. So, yeah, no, I've had a lot of fun and uh, some really, really awesome races this year. Uh, great things that I've never done before, race, you know, uh, course wise, that, yeah, I was really excited about. So, I don't think I burned myself out running with Graham. My feet may say differently, but I was, it was pretty cool because I had two different weeks of almost the exact same hours on feet, 10 and a half hours, but one week was like my peak week of 75-ish miles, and the next was when I paced Graham, and it was like 20 miles less, but it was five times as much vert and the same amount of time on feet, which I think really complemented each other, and I mean, it was a good confidence boost just to to I think climb that much in in a race and um know that I it was excellent pull work running at night there were things that were very kind of Leadville specific that I got out of that um what's a typical weekly mileage for you when you're like ramping a little bit do you ever go beyond 75 miles 
I don't think I ever have. Maybe 77 when we ever stood in Uray mm-hmm. and that was like, we're not working all week and we're out there for four hours a day. Um, but no, typical is maybe 55 to 60 miles. I'm right there with you. I think that's a sweet spot uh, for a lot of runners. There are runners that like to do hundreds of, yeah. you know, a hundred mile weeks pretty regularly, but I... I personally don't have enough time. <laughs> it, I'm the same way. I mean, like honestly, 60 to 70 is my typical. Maybe if I peak at higher, 75 yeah. or as high as 80, but not very often. It's usually 60 to 70. Yeah. I mean, I think it says a lot that you guys have managed to compete at a very high level, do everything else, be great parents, be great at your work, your jobs, and also get in the training and find time to come over here and do podcasts and <laughs> photos and ads and all that kind of stuff. So it, it, I think it speaks a lot. It gives gives a lot of people probably some hope that are in our same situation. You know, the kids is the big the mm-hmm. big factor. Yep. Um, but then also reminding yourself, you know, that you're you're married and you know can't take that for granted so yeah there's a lot going on and you guys balance it really really well it's very impressive yeah thanks and Um, we try to we try to involve the kids as much as we can bring them to i mean they were at leadville um helping us crew and um, they were at uray at every they were at uray at every aid station and and my youngest son after leadville said that this was one of the best days i've ever had so clearly (laughs) he had a good time and had fun out there and um, we have friends that do things like throw them three feet in the air too during the, yeah. <laughs> just to like, yeah, we have great friends. Yeah. Too. So, I mean, just including them helps uh, and it helps them be involved. Yeah. yeah. So Corinne, how are you feeling going into Leadville 100? Like it's a week of, yeah. you know, walk me through race sure. day. Okay. okay, so the week before I did stay up in Leadville, I have a friend, Justin, who was also running his first 100 who has a house up there and we, he let me stay, which was awesome to just, um, you know, acclimatize a bit. I also took a few days off work, which good and bad. I knew that I would, you know, need to focus and not, and probably not want the too much of the distraction or not be able to focus on work too much. But at the same time, it gave me a lot of extra time. Like when you have no kids in the house, one other person and you're not working, there's a lot of quiet time. So it was, uh, it was, I think it was good, low stress environment for the week leading up. I was getting used to the altitude, um, but I was also really, really nervous. I mean, I had, I think I would say a healthy fear of this distance and um, just generally the unknown. So um, I was confident in my ability to, to run it, but I also knew that there were going to be some things that I was going to encounter that I'd never encountered before. Was there any like single kind of profound moment with all the quiet, like no, no dog, no kids screaming, no rushing, rushing around, just reflecting, or was it almost like too much? Cause you're just so, your normalcy is just constant go, go, yeah. go. Like that's how I am. I, yeah. I'm actually less productive when I have nothing to right. do. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I think it gave me a chance to sit down and think about why I was doing it and start to really hone that in in my brain so that I could use that during the day. 
Um, and it gave me some time to just kind of visualize and uh, tell myself, you know, over and over again that I wanted to be doing this. This is voluntary. I'm excited about this. I have this huge support team that of people that I love and admire that are going to help me do this. Um, but I, yeah, I also just, I, I mean, I was definitely very nervous. So this is the first race I've ever gone to and I didn't have any uh, safety pins for my bib. <laughs> and that was my biggest stress going into this race <laughs> was like specifically asking what's in this packet. They confirmed and then I get back and I'm like, oh, crap, like I left all my backups at home. And go figure, I just like come up to you guys and you're, you just had uh, a backup to everything, it seemed like. Race morning. Yeah. We like, saw you, you only had three though. I think that <laughs> threw off my whole like equilibrium for yeah. the 50 miles that I did. Um, Sorry. No, thank you for that. <laughs> did you, how was lining up on that start line? There was a giant full moon. It was kind of like a magical environment, yeah. like situation there. Um. It's hard to explain. It was a little colder, uh -huh. but it wasn't too bad. Yeah, it was It was chilly. It was really nice, though. Um, and I had crewed and paced the race in 2019, so I got to see uh, that start line before. It's a little different when you're lining up on it than when you're pacing and crewing someone. Um, but it was awesome. I think I might have gotten in one of Billy Yang's shots because he was filming Anton, who was right in front of me. And I think I was in the shot behind him. So was Anton wearing a shirt, most importantly? I, I think so. It I must have been. I don't remember how, what the temperature was. Maybe. Yeah, it was. It was I cool. It was probably 35. and a long sleeve on. Yeah. Still disappointed, yeah. Anton. Come on, Tony. <laughs> um, well, that would be cool. I mean. Yeah. Same. And what's going through your head as they're doing the countdown? Are you finally able to relax and just know you've done all the work or are you still like are you having self-doubt um yeah i i did i did kind of relax i mean i think that most people will say that like right then and as the gun goes off is kind of some of the best time because it kind of you just goes away and you you're doing it you know and so the anticipation is gone um and then you know my goal is to go out as uh, easy and uh really try to stay controlled and at a very very comfortable you know kind of backed off effort level for the first 50 miles. i mean especially those first few miles they're super quick yeah they're all kind of like rolling downhill but if you're not careful it's concrete mm -hmm. so you can't be totally stupid um yeah but i i found myself i just put headphones in and kind of hit flow pretty quickly yeah. Um, it's a nice start. It's a great way to start the race. And then I, you know, actually my friend Justin found me like within a half a mile. He's like, there you are. And uh, I, it was pretty crazy because he and I ended up running most of the first 100K almost all together, which was really cool. Um, he had a, a, a really good end of the race. and <laughs> Tony looked over at me. I'm like, man, you can go ahead. I know. I know you got a big race ahead of you. Yeah. So. We were joking um, but, that we'd just go then, out with him for the first mile or two. <laughs> did you see it. him? Uh, no, okay, <laughs> he was gone. <laughs> good, good. 
I mean, those guys, Ian Sherman. Yeah, Ian Sherman's amazing, too. Crazy seeing them. They were coming down as mm-hmm. I was going up. I saw them coming back Just up the first initial part of Hope. Mm-hmm. Which, Moving. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, and he was smiling the whole time, which yeah. seeing, seeing Anton running again, just phenomenal. It's awesome. So I hope he doesn't start his 200-mile week program again and and get injured at all um he seemed like he's on top of it i think so um so tell me how the lake is going through the sketch um pretty quickly like i've heard people slip and end their races right around turquoise yeah 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 uh i love that section on the way out (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say it's It's really fun it's runnable i like technical terrain on a normal day uh and uh and so it was fun and it was so cool because it's dark but then you look back and this chain of headlamps it it looks like cars and it's just so cool to see everybody out there doing it and there were so many people that had gotten up at four or five in the morning that were along the course in the first section that was so weird yeah they were cheering just well in the woods though i was like too early to hallucinate like <laughs> i just kept my head down like i'm yeah like, we're, we're only like a few hours in here like i can't look up and be questioning why there are people in the woods yeah. like <laughs> no they were there they were cheering for us it was it's awesome it was really i was cool. freezing though i was super cold are you yeah did you have a jacket on or i had a long sleeve and okay. gloves and i think that helped i me. needed I was gloves pretty comfortable. honestly yeah. um how was going down power line you go up sugarloaf mm-hmm. Yeah. I assume you had a good cadence, just a little jog up Sugarloaf for the most part. And- yeah, yeah. I did jog uh, a lot of it. I think I hiked a bit, but I felt good. Um, and I love descending, kind of like this guy. So I <laughs> I was uh, just taking it just kind of easy, but um, letting myself go on the downhill. Um, I think a lot of that eccentric loading from pacing Graham on steep downhills made me feel a little bit more confident just kind of letting it roll on the downhill. And I, I, it seemed to be that this is, this happens at a lot of races for me. Like other girls will gap me a bit on the climb and then I'll catch them on the descent. And that was happening over power line. The yeah. First time. Same here. People will gap me on the up and then uh, they'll gap me on the down. <laughs> I'm, I'm like just like you on that. Um, how do you run that last like super steep descent on power line? Do you have a method? Because it's so steep. Like I just was taking like half steps so that I didn't blow out my quads. Mm-hmm. I mean, were you able to actually lean into those and like hammer? Or? I didn't lean. I don't lean forward, but I kind of stay straight up. And then I think I try to do, I used to do really long because I have a really long lopey gait and I used to just be a loper downhill and I've really tried to make that be like a shorter cadence. And so I think of just kind of like almost tiptoeing, um, but keeping turnover going. And that was a fun, fun section. It's fun yeah. when, you, when you're still feeling good and your feet feel good. <laughs> I mean... For the listeners' background, having watched super slow mo for the exoskin ads, your cadence when you slow it down to twenty five percent of reality, like 
it gets really slow. It kind of <laughs> looks like she's power hiking through the trails. I never look like I'm running fast. You I have could a be long stride. And and the only thing that I take solace in there is Walmsley also has a slow cadence. So thanks for that, Walmsley. <laughs> I honestly, you're, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, you're crushing yeah. it. So how was finally getting down to Twin Lakes for the first time? That is an aid station. That it's is aid a station. dream yeah. it's aid station cool. like I've never experienced before. Even in UTMB, honestly, really? it wasn't a, the same experience like that. Yeah. I mean, May Queen's also awesome because it's like this tunnel of people and it's the yeah. first time you're seeing people and everybody's freaking out. And that that was, felt Euro. That was, felt like, you know, it. when the guys so cool. have their... Yeah. Hands on their knees. Zagama and style. Yes, yeah. Zagama is Zagama. <laughs> that, that was surreal because I wasn't expecting to see anyone there. Yeah, it was awesome. And then and then Twin Lakes, I think, because you have a pretty long stretch from Outward Bound to Twin Lakes, which is really pretty as well, but it's slightly uphill. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough long section then coming into Twin Lakes. And I had, I was feeling really good going into that. I actually had stepped, stepped in some water, like maybe two miles out. And about a half mile later, the insole in my shoe like bunched up. And I was like, whoa, it feels weird inside my shoe. But I knew I was going to change shoes at Twin Lakes. So I didn't do anything about it. But again, on the downhill, I was kind of just rolling with it and I, I the first time I came into Twin Lakes I think I was sitting in third and I was pretty excited about it but I also was like I'm about to go by myself for a good six hours over a very tough section you had your Kipchoge moment where the insoles came out <laughs> all right the announcers were going nuts <laughs> um but was that did that end up chafing your no, it was on it was on the other foot that I didn't have issues with, so it didn't have any long term impact. I mean, and if it had been longer, I would have just stopped and fixed it, but I knew I was pretty close, so I just kinda let it go. And then as soon as I took my shoe off, I was like, There's something wrong with this shoe, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> Were you able to fix it? Yeah, because I was gonna put different shoes on for the Hope Pass climb. So I wore the Ultra Glides for the first part of the race because they're so comfortable and cushiony and then um i was going to put on the s-lab ultra 3s for the hope pass section because they have a rock plate and they're a little stiffer so i like yeah i made the mistake of not changing my shoes when i should have um how was crossing that initial river oh it was pretty fun it wasn't too too deep yeah so i i mean it's a little annoying because you get your feet get wet and you're squishy for a bit but it, it was, makes for a yeah. hard challenge yeah. Honestly, like it just adds that extra element of discomfort or just mm-hmm. just enough where on that initial climb, your feet are just a little heavier. Yeah. and Yeah, for sure. But it, I uh, I actually felt okay um, going up Hope. Um, the descent into Winfield was all right as well. I was kind of running with Eliza LaPierre and we were like going back and forth leapfrogging and it was great to talk with her a little bit and then also Tara Richardson and um so it was it was really fun to to like talk with those ladies and I was feeling okay the the descent the last few miles is long because it's hard and it's a little bit uphill even so you know it's it's long to get into Winfield um but when I got in there 
I was doing all right still. I was running with Justin, and it was they did a great job. You can't have this year. You couldn't have pacers or crew there, but they had like a dedicated person for each athlete, and they were amazing. Got us anything we needed. Asked us how we were doing. I mean, it felt like you had kind of like a concierge. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it was for me too. Middle back of the pack personal van to take me home from Winfield. <laughs> um, no, but so any any selfies with the llamas? Did you have any time to have fun on that climb up to Hope? No, I saw a friend who we knew from, who we had seen at Uray, oh, yeah. who was like, hey, is that Corinne? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, it's Scott from Uray. And he gave me, you know, soup and stuff on the client, on the Hope. Shout out to Scott from Uray. <laughs> yeah. We're doing yeah, like Uray. personal Actually, like lives, shout outs here. He, he lives, lives like here, in Littleton. But he did the Uray 50. Uh, but he did the Uray 50. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So he was awesome. Uh, Hope Pass was, or Hopeless Aid Station was great the first time. The second time. Not so good. Was not feeling good. I was. <laughs> At least he saw it a second time. So I was descending down Hope on some of the sketchier stuff into Winfield. I saw you. Yeah. I kept pulling over to let people go up that were definitely way ahead of me. And then the Killian-like people that, you know, were apparently getting a, a second wind and trying to fly past. And I just... I wasn't in a good spot, and then I stepped on some granite that really messed up. It was like a chunkier piece that just caused some acute pain in my foot. I haven't actually run since then to Mm -hmm. test it out, but uh, you seemed like you were in pain a little bit. Maybe I'll show a part of that clip, because I had a GoPro out. Um, Like, What was going through your mind at that point? going up hope for the second time was that yeah with it was, just well it you weren't hard. with justin I that i saw we left the we left winfield together but actually i left ahead of him but he passed me pretty quickly um and it was tough that that climb i felt like i was moving very slowly did you rush that aid station uh, should you have taken more time and eaten more food i think i ate a good cup of mashed potatoes and a Oof. Thing of ramen. Those were bad, weren't they? And <laughs> they, they tasted okay. Like, let's, let's like put any like pepper, like let's just put anything in it besides just mashing a potato after heating it. But it was easy to eat, so they, I appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, it was. I I I think I ate a decent amount. It just I think at that by that point my it was my legs were starting to feel it. Um, and I just was felt like I was moving really slow. A little bit of weather came in. I put my jacket on, but then it got hot again, and it never did rain. So I was frustrated. I had to take it off again, and like started to just get a few mental things going where it was like I'm going, I'm moving slowly, and um, this hurts, and this is hard, and yeah. Uh, what was hopeless like the second time? Uh, I got there, and Justin was there too, and he's just sitting down chilling. He's kind of like that. He's just a chill guy. He's like, I don't feel very good. <laughs> I'm like, I don't either. I feel horrible. Uh, and so we just sat for a few and drank and ate some broth and ramen. Um, and I had been, I was, so, I was feeling a little defeated because I had been, I'd gotten passed by a number of women on the climb back up. And then at Hopeless, two more women came in and I was like, oh. <sighs> it they look really good and i don't feel yeah. that good um so it was kind of the start of just some 
deep exhaustion, I think. The downward spiral had begun. Yeah. Um, how was that descent through the woods? It drops down mm-hmm. uh, to the river. I, I didn't run it as quick as I wanted Are to. Are you able to run that? Because, like, as I was climbing, I was like, man, this is going to be hard coming mm-hmm. back the other way. Because it's very technical. Slowly. Yeah. Slowly ran it. Ran it with uh, with Justin. We were moving okay, uh, all things considered. Definitely wasn't as quick as I would have liked to run it. Because um, those are the sections you can kind of make up some time. And I just didn't have it in my legs to to do that um and then you start to get the little sneaking voice saying you are only 100k into this race and there's four you know 38 more well, miles you can't to look go. at the whole picture or you'll <laughs> you'll just start crying i know you know that in concept it just but it's well, hard your first hundred it's hard so to, for you, to it's push like, it out of your head you're yeah. starting to think like this is a pr for me what was the river like for the second time i didn't get to enjoy that uh, I sat again. down completely in the river the second time, mainly because okay. I just wanted to swim? like wash myself off. the 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 cameraman was like, "I can't believe you just did that." I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna change in about one mile." So it was. You it started was okay. modeling your exoskin no. socks. <laughs> <laughs> did yeah. you get washed down the river? No. You had like a minor Wamsley oh, moment. Lord. Like <laughs> you call this. The Wamsley episode. He just like jumps out and yells. Um, I I won't get sidetracked here. Yeah. How was uh, Twin Lakes? Like, was that a good reset to pick up a pacer? And it did not go I was excited about getting to run with my friends and and see them. Definitely, that was going to be a huge help. Um, But it was a, that was a really tough aid station for me. Um, I came in and I kind of was, I kind of felt like I had been holding it together because I was by myself, and the second I saw my family and everybody else, everything just kind of came out. You allowed yourself to emotionally kind of. Oh yeah, I started bawling. There was a there's a video on my Instagram if anyone wants to see it. It's the reality of what it was at that aid station. Is literally I literally just kind of started bawling and falling apart. Maybe I'll try to cut that into here, just to piece together the story. Um, yeah. And so who did you pick up and and get me to the next aid station? Yeah, so I picked up my friend Todd, who I had paced in 2019 over Hope Pass, and it was his first 100 as well. So this was really awesome, full circle, getting to have him pace me. Um, He's an amazing runner and friend, and he did a great job. He carried my vest in his hand the entire 13 miles, and literally, I'm like, I can put it on whenever you want. He's like, no, I got it. So he carried it, uh, which was uh, amazing, but... Um, it was a fun section. It was a tough climb out. And I, I told him, you know, looking back now, there was some negative self-talk and chatter that I, I really should have gotten ahead of and tried to mitigate. Cause I was saying things like, I don't want to run anymore. And things like, are you ready to walk for a long time? Cause that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so here's, here's a really important question for me personally. I use music to control my emotional flow were you, did you have music going? Yeah, so I did. And what I started were you picking here that was because I, I literally I try to put like tone down music when I'm feeling too amped up, and mm-hmm. vice versa to just kind of manipulate my emotional state. Yeah, it's a good idea, and I love music. I was listening to it for the entire first six hours, but I made a rookie mistake of having cordless headphones. 
wireless, so they died after six hours. Everyone makes fun of me for having cords. But I know why you have cords. But they don't know running beyond 100 miles, like it's not uh, efficient at all. Yeah, that's totally why. So iPod shuffle for the win. (laughs) That thing's probably worth money now. I don't think you can (laughs) even buy them anymore. It's crazy, but um, I got one. I know you did. Good. 200 bucks, guys. Gotta hook nah. us up. No, so, uh, so I did have my Pacers play music at times, and, and it helped me, but I was without music over Hope Pass. Yeah, yeah. Which could have... It does. It helps distract me. I I have, you know, an amazing playlist that reminds me of everything from my kids to every... To we should put on the Atlanta... thought that through, because we could have brought a second yep. headset. You had my charger, but... and I think, or, or I could have given you my headphones, yeah. and you could just taken those yeah enough so um and so so that's it so that section was actually it was hard um but i got through it and at the end of it i was running into outward bound actually feeling fairly decent um still i think definitely sitting in like the top 10 you know kind of having these emotions of I, i i now think i can do this i can get through it just keep moving forward a little bit of hope again yeah Yeah. and i mean walk me through going up power line for the second time and going through that that sketchy (laughs) field prior was awful both directions oh my one direction i guess yeah that field was awful yeah it's weird um the field is really redded and you just have to watch your step and it's like you know. it's almost not efficient to run no we were just it. it really yeah it's not um and it's long it was like, like a mile almost yeah yeah so i remember watching that um when i watched the race in 2019 and yeah so that's a little bit of a soul sucking section <laughs> well, there's like potholes like yeah. you could blow out your knee if you you're just not paying attention for one minute there, you cannot zone out. No, I think the lead field, which is very like a taxing. Really big digger. Yeah, so right before you come into that aid station, there was like a trench. Yeah, and we saw a lot of people trip and fall, and um, the lead woman took a fall there. Looks like she just popped right back up. But yeah, we were sitting there going, "Isn't there something you could like put over that or whatever?" Because I mean, a bunch of people fell. Yeah, so that was tough. But then you know, uh, let's see, in outward bound. I think I was still a little emotional. I was getting tired, getting tired, like sleepy tired. Uh, I ate some, but maybe not as much as I should have put on more clothes because I was getting cold. I walked out of there with a puffy coat on, pants on, and I was not looking forward to Powerline. Um, just felt wrecked and completely depleted. And um, I mean, thank God for right. My pacer rest through that section because he literally, he broke it down for me. And we literally went every other glow stick to glow stick. Like we'd pass two glow sticks and he let me take a five second break. And he made me drink two glow sticks, five second break drink. Like it was brilliant and it got me up it. But I remember at one point I said, like, how long have we been going? And he's like four miles. And I'm like, four miles and it'd been like an hour and a half and he as he says that was the end of the mileage or data updates of any sort <laughs> i mean i course marked that section and i and i rode it on a bike and it's still it i still in my head thought it was like three climbs yeah but it's four yeah. and 
that last one, once you get up to Sugarloaf, it's just not super runnable trail down. It's pretty sketch, especially if your quads are hurting. Yeah, um, it's technical. Get me... Get me to where you picked up this guy. Yeah. Um, it was a pick. long time between the top of Powerline and to that, to that, to May Queen. So Justin, uh, that she was basically running, she's about 20 minutes behind him at Outward Bound. So when he came into May Queen, um, I expected her to be 20, 30 minutes back. And that time came and went. And then an hour came and went. And I started to get nervous. And, you know, Russ is with her, and I trust Russ implicitly, so if anything had happened, I, I knew she'd be fine. But still, like, an hour and 15 minutes goes by, I'm like, holy cow, what is going on? So I start running up, I end up connecting with them, and Corinne's very gingerly walking downhill, and I could see, like, her feet were really hurting her, and yeah. they were moving very slow at that point. So for someone who likes to run the downhill and was really looking forward to getting to the downhill section, I could run a little bit on the smooth, but the second we got to the technical single track, like every step was killing me. And it was super, super challenging to mentally just keep moving forward. Um, my left foot was just... That reminds me so much of my first 100, uh, Kettle 100. It was just that same experience. It's almost like your body for the very first time when you're at mile 85. It's like, what the hell are you doing to me? Yeah. Especially my feet and just everything's tight. And you've never experienced mile 85 before. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, I get it. Trust me. Yeah. My poor pacer. Um, <laughs> Tommy still talks to me. That's good. <laughs> That's a win. I was like laying down in the middle of roads, like trying to sleep. It was it was a disaster. See, he was trying to sleep too. Was it thirty degrees? Yeah, probably. Oh, okay. uh, or uh, is is probably a little bit warmer than that. Okay, we'll, we'll get to why that's. So I start. So I picked Graham up at May Queen, and I I mean my crew had this beautifully laid out aid station, and I just went right by it, and I wanted to get into the warm tent because I was freezing. Um, and, uh, I, I really was just kind of done in my mind and my body at that point. I, I didn't have any intention of stopping, but I was in a really, really bad, low, low place. And, uh, I just sat there for a few, tried to eat a little bit. Um, and then we left, uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. And... Do we had a half marathon left? Just go. a half marathon, right? Just a half marathon. Oh, I can do that in under two hours. Yeah, totally. Until you're at actually like mile 87 on your legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, were you able to run at all? Not really. Um, not really. No, I was walking and um, toward the very, very end, I shuffled a little bit, but the Into around the, finish the line. Uh, yeah, yeah, around the around the lakes. lake the second time, I mean, was completely miserable. It was so miserable. And those it was, are runnable sections. It is runnable. Mm -hmm. It's a little downhill. And that makes it even harder. Torture, yeah. <laughs> because you're like, I can't. And that's one of the hardest things, I think, that I realized in these. And I've felt this in other long-distance races, too. It's when you want to run and you can't. That is... I mean, mentally, it's so frustrating. 
Um, that was my race. So frustrating. Yeah. So I think I said, I, you know, it became a, very much about something other than a race. Obviously, I'm like not in anywhere near contention for any kind of good placement or anything like that. Or, or really, I mean, at one point I thought maybe I was going to be able to do sub 25 hours and get the big buckle, you know, but that was now not going to happen. And it, I, I had to really figure out why I was going to continue running. And really it came down to doing it for other people, for the people that were there supporting me, for other people that can't do it, that want to do it. Did quitting ever enter your mind? Were you ready to like pull the plug at any point? I think I wanted to stop many times. Um, but I knew deep down that my ultimate goal in this race was to finish it. And I think that always was kind of there. Graham, what was, what was it like trying to pace your wife through this? And I've joked that like no priests are needed, like to get married, no sit down chats, uh, and, and approvals, like just do the last, uh, <laughs> 13 miles of a hundred mile with. Yeah, with your significant other, and if you make it through that as a couple, you can make it through anything. I, would, I mean, was it rough? Was yeah. it rough? It was rough. I mean, I think for me, so I had a few things going on. I had also woken up at 2.30 in the morning on Saturday to go see the start, so now we had been going 26, 27 hours, so I was really tired, and I think if I did that again, I wouldn't go to the start. I'd sleep a little bit more um, and then kind of do the late pacing. I think we were moving slower than I expected, um, and it was taking so much longer than I even had you know, forecasted in my mind. And so mentally, that was a little hard for me. And then I was having to keep her kind of going. And, and there wasn't any point where I felt like she was just done. She was going to quit. But she was really, really tired and just wanted to lay down on the side of the trail. And my biggest fear was she was already cold. It was really cold. It was probably... It was probably 30 right by the lake. It's in kind of that low yep. spot. Yeah. Um, and my biggest fear was she would lay down. She's already cold. Two, three minutes, she's going to start to go borderline hypothermic, and then she won't finish the race. And so I felt like it was my job to not let her stop or lay down. And, you know, she got a little grumpy with me about that a few times. Um, and uh, So real succinctly here, just because I know we're running out of time, um, what was it like going through the finish line after everything you had been through? You were third at one point in the race to then mm -hmm. you didn't give up, but man, things, things hit the wall. Yeah. What was going through your mind at the finish line? It was just emotional. There's just a lot of exhaustion and tears. And, um, I think, um, kind of, uh, maybe a bit of, of relief. I mean, I think that, when you're that stripped, it's a little hard to feel um, proud or kind of accomplished right then. Um, but I, I had made it across, and I, I do think that you know finishes count in my mind. Like Graham said, I think I'll have so I'll have a DNF. I'm sure I'll have many, um, but for me, it was important to finish this race and. The fact that I did it, crossing the finish line with everybody that supported me was very, very special. I mean, I love the photo of 
Graham carrying you. Yeah. We took my shoe off afterwards and oh. realized why my foot hurt so bad. And I had a blister about that big on my baby toe. Um, and then I had another massive blister on my big toe. So, And your toenail was floating. Pretty yeah, much. Which is, I don't think yeah. I've ever so. seen that before. <laughs> so Graham uh, has carried me... When, when we first met, he would carry me to bed all, all the time. And he did it for years and years and years and years. And so it was kind of like, okay, finish line. I can't walk. It was carry me. short. It was two blocks. <laughs> Throw Downhill. in the shower. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So last question of the night or the day here. Um, what would you recommend? Like, what's your major takeaway? You did 100 miles for the first time. Like, Yeah. What's your takeaway? Would you recommend this to other people? Yeah, I think you, you have to want to do it, number one, before you start it. And then I, I think that, yes, I would recommend it. If, if you, if you want to do it, you know, I mean, go after it, do it. Like, you can do it. I think kind of maybe my less or my, one of my big takeaways was that I never knew what it would be like until I did it. And it's kind of like having kids you don't know and you can tell a million people can give you advice you can read a million books you can hear a million podcasts you can do all the research in the world but until you experience it for yourself you don't really know what it's going to be like and sometimes you just have to do that and have the experience that's that's an amazing way to finish here i appreciate your guys time you gotta just gotta just do it you gotta hear that baby crying to yeah to fully understand everything um and hopefully there weren't too many tears during your first hundred but i know you'll be back picking out an ultra here you know very soon um really appreciate you guys joining me enjoyed this thanks for having us thanks that was episode 193 big thank you to the shell boys for taking so much of their time always cool to have in-person in-studio interviews so Big thank you to them for taking so much of their time. We'll always be in touch with them. And big thank you to the show sponsors, Tannery Outdoors, Exoskin, and the John Wayne Cancer Foundation, their Grit Series. Just really appreciate it. Big thank you to you Patreon supporters. Most importantly, don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a great week.